If you would like to support the Proper Mental Podcast, you can do so by joining the Patreon community. It's £5 a month, and for that you get early access to the episodes as soon as I record them. You also get the video recordings of these episodes that aren't available anywhere else. And it also allows me to keep this podcast ad-free. I don't want to interrupt these stories to try and sell you things. I don't want advertisements to get in the way of talking about mental health. I want to keep this show independent, and the Patreon allows me to do exactly that. You can also be a part of a Patreon community that's ever-growing and expanding, and it's filled with people who are passionate about talking about mental health, about getting into these deeper conversations. And hopefully as that community grows, there'll be all other sorts of behind-the-scenes content and different things that I'll be able to offer you for your money. If that sounds like something you'd like to be involved in, there's a link in the episode notes to get to the sign-up page, or you can go to patreon.com slash propermentalpodcast. And please know that any and all support is hugely appreciated. Thank you very much for listening. Welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Sammy Trotman, who is the writer and creator of a show called That's Not My Name, which is all about mental illness and labels and trauma. And Sammy started writing the show while she was in a psychiatric hospital, and the reasons why she ended up in hospital are kind of what the show is based around. And in this episode, I chat to Sammy about writing the show and about opening up conversations through performance and through stories and through humour, and how important that is in bringing these more challenging conversations to people and inviting them to think about them. We talk about the impact that society has on mental well-being. We talk about society a lot in this episode and how just trying to be a good person and getting by in life can be really difficult in a world that doesn't necessarily value those qualities and how a lot of the behaviours associated with different types of mental illness might just be really normal and expected reactions to a world that isn't always very nice to live in, to a world that can be difficult to live in. Maybe these things is a very human way of responding when something really awful happens and how that changes once we start putting names on things. And Sammy has four different diagnoses. She has four different labels and she's rejecting all of them. They don't work for her. And we talk about why. We also talk about being creative. We talk about rebelling against social norms. And we chat about addiction and recovery and going to therapy. And it's a wonderful conversation. I think you can hear from my side at least how much fun I'm having when I chat to Sammy but we connected through Instagram when I saw some of the promotional material for That's Not My Name doing the rounds and it's really striking it really grabbed my attention it really made me think this is the sort of show that I want to go and see and Sammy is the sort of person that I want to chat to about it even the main image is Sammy holding a copy of the DSM-5 which is if you don't know it's like the I don't know the, the bible or the dictionary for mental illness right it's what the um the people in the medical space use to diagnose and look at symptoms and stuff like that you know when you go traveling and you get a, a rough guide or a lonely planet the DSM-5 is like the lonely planet for mental illness and 
on the cover, Sammy's holding up this book and it's on fire. So straight away, there's a statement there, right? And I just think that bringing these conversations about the more challenging aspects of mental health, bringing these to to the stage, to the theatres and inviting people just to maybe have a think about things a bit differently. You know, inviting people in to a dialogue to challenge maybe their preconceptions, their preconceived ideas. I think it's a really important thing and I can't wait to see the show. They're going out on tour with it soon. As we recorded this, the dates are still getting finalized but once it's announced i'll be blasting it all over my socials and i'll add them to the episode notes in the meantime all sammy's socials and website and everything is all in the episode notes go and have a look give her a follow keep an eye on these dates and go and see this show because I think it's really important and a lot of fun too. If you would like to watch this conversation, it's been on the Patreon page for a little while now. All the videos go straight up on Patreon. They go there as soon as I record them, so a lot of them are there for a good few weeks before the audio comes out. And if you like watching things rather than listening to them, that's the place to go. It's also a great way to support the show, keep it independent, keep it ad-free, keep it going, essentially. I don't make any money off Patreon. The aim is to just allow the podcast to pay for itself. That's it. That's all I want to do. And there's a link in the episode notes to sign up and support. It's only £5 a month. And while I've got you, there are a couple of other episodes I'd like to draw your attention to that would be worth listening to, kind of like a companion piece to this episode. Sammy and I here, we chat about a few things that people might not agree with. Diagnosis is complicated and people feel differently about it. People feel very strongly about it. It works for some people and it doesn't work for others. And that's completely fine. I'd never want this show to try and tell anyone what to think or how to feel. My job is to hold the space for the conversation, right? So another couple of episodes I think would be worth listening to is one with Emily Lang, which is probably about 50 or so episodes back. And there's a lot of similarities in that Emily also has a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. She's also in recovery. She also started writing her podcast while she was in hospital. And there's a lot of crossover. But the main thing is that Emily really embraces her diagnosis. For her, having a name for what she was experiencing really helped her. And I think that's a great way to explore the other side of the conversation that I have today with Sammy. Another episode I'd like you to go and listen to is with Tatten Spiller, who is the founder of Simple Politics. And again, Tatten has got a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. And when we chat about labels and diagnosis, Tatten sits somewhere in the middle. He talks about the pros, he talks about the cons, he talks about where he's at with it, which is somewhere in the middle. And I think that's another one that probably fits quite nicely in this space and gives a a few different ideas, a few different opinions, a very well-rounded way of looking at this quite difficult conversation so go and check those out and see what you think everything else you need to know about me is in the episode notes too and this is episode 155 of the proper mental podcast with sammy trotman thank you very much for listening enjoy So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. My guest this week is Sammy Trotman. How are you doing, mate? I'm not bad, mate. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm I'm really good. Really, really good indeed. Um, it's a really interesting one for me today, Sammy, because I normally when I speak to someone, I kind of I I suppose I know a bit more, you know. So I've like I've watched the show or I've read the book or or whatever. Yeah. But I was kind of realizing coming into this that I don't know a great deal about your show at all so I'm really like I'm learning firsthand <laughs> along with people listening so that's really sick don't worry um, me and you both me and you both I don't know anything <laughs> about it either. <laughs> that's, that's good um but because that's how I kind of found out about you was through your through your show so that's probably the best place for us to start today is it mate so um you know that's not my name that's what it's called what's yeah. the sort of the overall 
premise of of what you do um so um that's not my name um came out of me getting sober last year um and really uh it it's just it's insanity that's all I can really say is there was no like method I didn't plan to write a play it isn't really a play um it was really touch and go when it turned into a play um it came out of just like I guess what was just re like repressed creativity for like 15 years that I think I must have been numbing with like behaviors and alcohol and it just came out of me in the form of like weird songs poetry a lot of self like analysis like I was just sat there like Sigmund Freud like oh my life is so hard and I was like what the fuck are you doing Sammy like stop feeling sorry for yourself and weirdly like looking at myself from that perspective introduced a lot of humor into my own kind of experience of life living with whatever you want to call it um and that really brought out the funny and mental illness I put it in inverted commas mental illness for me um and I speak to my own story and how yeah the the kind of intersectionality and mental health how I've got it if you look at kind of like social hierarchy and kind of privilege I've, I've got it I've got it well so why am I like this and there's a lot of like I feel voices like mine that are kind of treading on voices that aren't being heard because of circumstance and not having access to education and stuff like that so I'm trying to kind of bring that to the forefront anyway it's all about that it doesn't make any sense um you can usually tell who's neurotypical because they will watch it and be like I didn't understand it and I'm like yeah neither man like that's the point you're not supposed to understand it that's the brain like you say it's scruffy it's messy um I got it. there's no narrative to it Tom like there's yeah I don't know <laughs> that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate that's good I like I um I really enjoy finding the humor in mental health and mental illness you know and yeah. like not at anyone's expense right I've no. got a caveat that but sometimes when I and my wife laughs about this with me when I think about things I've said or things that I've done when I haven't been at well uh, haven't been very well and at the time these were like really horrible episodes but some of the things that have happened when you look at them out of context are so bizarre they can't not be funny right yeah. they can't and we shouldn't be afraid to 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 laugh at them and to talk about them because that's you know we're everyone's doing similar things right I agree with you and I think there is I think humor does this wonderful thing um and I've noticed it so much in shows that I go see maybe the same it breaks down people's barriers because when people are laughing they're listening to what you're saying and they don't have defenses up right because I think if you were to kind of inject you know if, if I were to talk about stuff I've done or you were to talk about stuff you've done in a very serious way I think I'd have my barriers up being like oh you terrible person but actually I think communicating it in a way that allows people to laugh kind of takes that defensiveness and anger away. And then suddenly they're like, oh, I just listened to you and I have compassion for you now. Or like it, I was able to give myself compassion by laughing at myself because I broke that thing down. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I think, I think humor is an amazing tool for mental health. And I think being able to laugh at myself and maybe you're the same, it saved my life. Like it really, really saved my life. Otherwise, I really would have just been like Sisyphusing forever 
just like pushing that fucking rock up the hill, just sad. And I don't want that. You know, if we got to live with this forever, it may as well be funny. So, well, yeah, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, might as well mine it for all you can, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, I think there's something about humor, isn't there, that kind of like, um, I don't know, it brings people together, right? So it's like a really communal thing when you go and watch a show, go and watch a comic, go and watch something, and everyone like sits in the room and, and laughs. There's yeah. something about that. And I, you, if you're going to watch a show in a show about mental illness, some of the people in the crowd will kind of know exactly what you're talking about. And some people won't, but we can all laugh at the same joke, regardless of how much we know about a certain label or whatever, you know, it's exactly. Exactly. And I think it really, if everybody in that room is laughing, I think that also really represents how parts of Again, I put it in inverted commas because I hate the term mental illness in the world we live in. I just think it's hypocritical. But if everybody is laughing, it means that everybody is relating to something, which shows me how much of a spectrum this is all on and how similar we all are because we're all human at the end of the day and we're all messy. And some of us are mo- like more socialised than others and some of us got it together and some of us aren't that great at you know, maintaining that level of kind of performative sanity I want to call it um but mm. everybody will relate to it because everybody will laugh and I'm like ha got you <laughs> I got you <laughs> you know <laughs> um so I don't know yeah it's um it's cool yeah oh mate it's cool as well because it kind of like I I, in some ways you can take the edge off right if you can make people laugh about it because there's so much fear around Mm. mental illness right like in every film ever made the serial killer the serial killer's got like schizophrenia or something right so people hear words and they don't know what they mean and they don't know like anything about it but they hear words and automatically there's a fear there and i I think laughter as well can like break that down a little bit as well so it's like oh we're talking about things that you think are scary we don't think we're scared they're scary because we're used to this terminology and we know what this is but you only know hollywood's version let's you know we make a joke and everyone like laughs right and it kind of like it takes the edge off takes the edge off that and I think that's good and there's something about lulling people into a false sense of security right so I tagged you in um my mate Tasha's play bipolar Brenda right and one thing Tash did with that that was amazing is she would do something really really funny and everyone would laugh and it completely disarmed the audience and then she just hit him with like a one-two of like bang this is my fucking reality yeah how did you laugh at me (laughs) yeah Yeah. and it like it really kind of it got people to kind of like yeah it was like a bit of misdirection or something and that's what laughter's good as well right if you're trying to like not drive home a point, but um, but yeah, just sort of open up a, a fucking dialogue about something. Um, yeah, yeah, soften them, soften them with the laughs, and then like slap them with uh, <laughs> something. <brutal. laughs> Get out! Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I think I don't know if you relate to this because I think I do something very similar in that's not my name, whereby I kind of like you use a lovely word, dis- disarm people with the funny, and then you go at them because they're open. And I've always kind of beaten myself up because I've always wanted to go at people. I'm quite scared of people. I realize like I used to do very nasty things kind of emotionally to people when I was growing up because I had it done to me. And that doesn't absolve, you know, the way that I am or whatever, I, I take responsibility for that. And I'm trying to change it, but I always want to just prod people because of how much I was kind of prodded and it's just a natural reaction. And a bit like your friend Tash, I found that the socially acceptable context to do that in is a theater because you can also really hold people and you can actually illustrate that 
I'm doing this to you in real time. I'm sorry, but like, this is me. This is what I actually want to do. And the absolute liberation of having a space and a creative outlet to do that in that doesn't hurt anybody because I don't think I really want to hurt people. I think it's just a trauma response, right? But it doesn't hurt anybody, but they can see it and they un- they finally understand it. And then to end that show and people give you compassion for just basically bullying them for 75 minutes genuinely has made me, like it's restored my faith in so many people that have come to see that show, who work in the profession, who have added to the narrative of stigmatizing, like you say, uh, labels and, all of these things um and they suddenly go oh wait a second like I I really feel for you I feel sorry for you not like in a patronizing way but like I I'm with you and that is like for me as a as a human being that that's really really healing um but also is really fascinating to see how much I don't like using the word empathy because I don't really believe in it, but like, yeah, compassion people are capable of. Um, mm. I don't know. And yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Just given, I suppose it's like giving people a, finding a way to give them a glimpse into like the realities of some of this stuff for the people that yeah. are living it, right? Just giving them yeah. a little peek behind the, the curtain. And yeah. if people don't, how, how can someone have compassion for something that they don't fucking understand, right? And there's exactly. no point having to go at someone for not understanding something it's like well let's help them understand and then i'm you know i'm i'm sure then they have the opportunity to be compassionate about it absolutely and i think that this is i mean this is something that i point towards quite a lot in the like mental health system especially in the uk and i can't speak for kind of um other societies and cultures because i only know this one but something i've always really struggled with is um people like feigning compassion and empathy when I'm like actually if you understood what I'd gone through you wouldn't be sat behind the desk you're sat behind like behind you'd be on my side of the desk (laughs) like so let's not like let's not tell me I don't have empathy and you got it because if I don't have it you can't have it either in order to understand me so let's not play with these semantics like and like you say I'm not berating people for not understanding that's so like th- that's fine <laughs> like people have good intentions totally fine I don't understand people's experiences uh, but I don't claim that I'm expert in them right I claim I'm expert of my own and that's all I can therefore give in order to like educate I don't know I don't know if that makes any sense but yeah yeah that- no that makes um that makes a lot of sense right and it, like they it, it's something I suppose that's not often taken into account in the conversation around mental illness is like that, that person's own experience. Like, you know, yourself, right. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like it almost gets discounted. It's like, Oh, well, you know, you've got this or you are this. And if you don't sit in that, box or feel like you don't it's, well, it doesn't matter because i put you in the box and you're like yeah but it doesn't, i don't fit in that box and it's like yeah but you're in it now so you know best of luck <laughs> yeah exactly good luck with and then anything again i don't know like tell me if you've experienced this but anything i fit like and i do it to myself because of the labels i've been given i'm like ah oh, that's a bpd thing ah oh, that's a did thing oh that's a sociopath thing and i'm like wait a minute no like all of these boxes like the 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 sides are down and they're all fucking melting into each other. But some 
kind of patriarchal based system, aka psychiatry. Sorry if any psychiatrists are listening, because it's not your fault. But it, like academia and all of it created these boxes in order to understand people. But actually, that doesn't give me understanding of myself. That's what somebody else told me I was, you know? Um, and I think it limits growth um, for me personally, staying with my diagnoses kept me in the box because I kept assigning the label to everything I was doing. Whereas actually I was like, no, I'm a, I'm a human being and I've had some shit and I've done some shit and I'm going to stop doing it. That that's it. <laughs> like, you know, or I changed my context. That's it. I can't, I can't not do everything. Um, but as long as I'm not hurting anyone and not being an asshole, like I'm, I'm chill, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you mentioned the the labels there, Sammy, can we rewind a little bit and kind of, when did your own experiences kind of, kind of start? When did that, when did that start for you? Uh, with labels or, or my head in general? <laughs> with, your, with your head in general, right? That's, that's often, I, often, I, I can't, when I speak to people about diagnosis, there's normally like two things. So there's like the, there's the time when it started and then there's the time when you got a name for it. And it often depends on how big that gap was, was the amount of chaos that has happened in someone's life quite often, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's a good metric. I never thought about that. <laughs> you have all this time to play. Oh no, now you can't. Um, um, I don't remember ever being alive and not being, not feeling um, not okay. Um, I don't know. No, I, I I know why. There's no point. Like, I feel like I spend a lot of time jabbing at why and really, like, I can't rewind the past. Um, it's all complex. It's complex trauma for you, right? Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't ever remember. I don't ever remember being kind of all right. Um, and then it started coming out in, like, eating disorder behaviours when I was probably 12 yeah, came out in kind of eating disorder behaviors and then it went straight into alcohol. As soon as I found that I could numb my brain with sweet, sweet juice, I did it. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is great. Um, and I did that until last year. Um, and during that time, um, I had a had a rocky five-year relationship with somebody that was Oh, we were children we were kids like we were very very young but we were two very kind of I speak for myself but I was quite coercive and toxic in that relationship and that ending I ended up getting a BPD diagnosis because I think my behaviors were escalating because of that context of instability and, and somebody else's emotions coming into it um, and then in 2021 I got diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder, which is like the film Split, but I don't eat people, and um, <laughs> uh, derealization disorder um, and depersonalization disorder. Now, these are all labels, and I'm always like, oh, there's been a few others along the way, and really, none of them really feel right. Really, none of them feel right. Um, they all make sense on paper, um, but I don't feel like I fit any of them and I don't really want to, I don't need to, 
as soon as I got diagnosed with all of them at different stages, I got worse because I was performing to the label I was given because it's in my nature. I'm a bit of a like show, show person, show human. I show people myself all the time. And um, having that descriptor, descriptive was, I for me, more harmful than it was good. Um, yeah, that's yeah. kind of it. Mate, that makes so much sense. And I've never really heard it put like that before. I've spoken to a, a lot of people who have experienced a lot of different stuff. Um, some people really don't like having a name for what's going on with them. Some people, they really like it. Yeah. I've never really thought of it as a pers- from the perspective of the label then promoting the behavior of that label. That's fascinating. But it makes sense, right? It makes sense. Like if you think I've got this, I am this. Yeah. Well, what, what does this do? <laughs> what does, what it's does this do? Right. It's, yeah. it's reinforcement. And I think it's the same as any label like gender. You get told you're a man, you behave like a man because we know what it is to be a man. You get, do you know, it's, it's, I see, and maybe I project too much of myself onto the world around me and people around me. Cause I'm so performative. I'm so like, I'm like a little, you know how particles like observer effect and they only start moving when we look at them. That's how I feel like I am when people are observing me. And I'm so aware of that. And it messes with my brain all the time. I'm trying to stop doing it, but I can't. And, um, (laughs) but I feel like everybody, I think everybody does that. And I think that some of us are more aware of it than others, but then surely if that, if my theory is right and we all do that, then having that label is going to therefore reinforce, and I say this with affection, but performing the role of that label, especially when we're in a position of needing help and that label is a tool to get help. Because I swear, like, when I wanted treatment, I got worse before I got better just to go, just to fit a box to get the treatment. Like, it, to me, this all feels very backward. Um, but I don't know if that's just a really cynical viewpoint because I'm a bit of a cynic when it comes to this kind of thing. So I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I suppose like, I don't know if you mentioned before that, you know, you can never remember um, feeling quite right. And I said, when I think about my own experiences, I can, I wouldn't have said it at the time, but I certainly say it now, having done some of the work that I've done that I can look back and really trace this stuff back quite a, quite a fair way. And I, I'm a, I'm a, a, like a mask wearer. That's kind of how I blended in, you know, and I will say about myself, I got to the point where I put on so many different masks for so many different situations. I kind of forgot what was underneath them all. Right. So if we're, if we're trying to like trying to blend in and trying to quote unquote be normal, whatever that is, well, someone comes along and says, well, here's this, here's this label, here's this thing. And it's like, oh, oh, another mask. Makes sense. And one that feels comfy and one that feels like all of the chaos that, you know, you talked about earlier that, that big gap of, you know, feeling like shit and getting diagnosed and cre- we create cycles of chaos because it's like, ah, society, <laughs> how, how do I do this? <laughs> And like all of these destructive behaviors. And then you have a label which almost validates that. And it's another mask, like you say. And it's so much more fucking comfy to wear that because it takes the shame away from everything that's just happened. And like, I am so, I'm so neutral. Like, no, I don't even have 
I don't have any judgment for anybody that labels help. And I'm not for one second being like, don't take them. Use the tools that society gives us to communicate ourselves to people. But looking at it through a lens of like the world we live in is so psychopathic and so disordered and so gaslighty and messed up. Like, for fuck's sake, don't disorder yourselves. Like, you know, um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's kind of, yeah. I, I get it, man. It's the, is it, um, it's one of Victor Frankl's, isn't it? Who says it's just like a, it's a normal response to a really like fucked up situation. Like that's not, that's not a, an illness. That's not a, a negative thing. It's like what's almost what's kind of like supposed to happen when we're trying to deal with something. And that, that applies to the big stuff and the small stuff because yeah. like life is, a, it can be for some people, a series of like micro traumas or microaggressions or small scale stuff. You know, I when I talk about my own uh, mental health. I talk of it like there was a leak in the basement and the, that leak went on for a long, long time. And I never even thought to look in the basement. I didn't know you were supposed to. And that, that leak got, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then one day the pipe burst and the fucking basement flooded and the foundations collapsed and the house went right. But yeah. that, that drip went on for like, years and years and years and a lot of that was me living in in ways that were really unauthentic to myself yeah and making decisions based on all you know all the different stuff without the risk of making this all about me um no, we... no, please, please talk more about yourself i'm seeming like i want to talk about myself which i do but carry on talking that's, that, that's why you're here in fairness <laughs> but um but yeah it's this whole thing of like um not not fitting doing things you don't want to do, but you think you have to because society tells us we have to and everyone else is doing them and they're all miserable as well. So that must, that must just be how it is. Are they miserable? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that's not for me to say, but, um, but do you know what I mean? And then it kind of yeah. like, it adds, 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 adds up and it adds up and over time, then, you know, then the wheels can truly, um, truly come off i kind of forgot why we started down that road if i'm being quite honest with you sammy but um <laughs> but i liked it i liked <laughs> your leak analogy i really really liked your leak analogy um mm. can i ask you a question yes I, of course yeah well um finding your authentic self because mm. you said that like <laughs> i i don't know if you ever feel like this i sometimes feel very comfortable in my authentic self because i feel like i'm trying to give that to people now i'm very transparent about myself um because i think that's the right thing to do when you have tendencies to be a bit like mm. um for you like what what like took you there and how are you finding just like not having a mask on i don't know yeah i like, to, like know how other people do because i'm not always that good at it <laughs> yeah i i'm not very good at it myself i'm um I'm learning on the job, I suppose, you know, yeah. I'm learning on the job and like, it, it sounds like such wanky therapy speak to talk about like layers and stuff like that. But you kind of, you know, you, you get a bit, I, for, I get a little bit better at stuff. And then what am I trying to say here? I suppose that I try and re just remind myself to be brave and try things. Yeah. And, when I try things and sometimes those things really feel like they align with what I should be doing. And then sometimes I try them and they don't, but either way it's better than not trying them, which was my response to everything was like, keep myself safe at all costs, never step out of line, never do anything that people might 
deem as stepping out of line you know just like living in that yeah, real like, play, yeah, yeah. Play, place of fear so for me it's like kind of I'm still figuring all that stuff out I'm just like testing stuff and doing stuff oh, I didn't really like that and let me try something else and trying not to try not to run away from it really just sit in the discomfort of trying to work out what the fuck is going on oh, I love that just sit in that sweet discomfort nice <laughs> yeah well I mean, yeah. you, mentioned, you mentioned um like recovery before right and that's what that's what booze does for us or drugs or whatever it is that's the thing it helps so you don't have to sit in that discomfort right it fills it fills the gap that's like one of the ways that we avoid sitting in that you know yeah I yeah I think it it's weird because I I worked in marketing last year no the year before last I was like I was really I didn't really know what marketing was um until I was on the job and I I was uh I'd just gotten sober and I was doing loads of um kind of like qualitative brand stuff for alcohol and I ended up quitting because I was like we live in a world that makes people feel like they have to work and I get it, like we do, that's society, we have to do it, but actually it's quite, I think, unnatural, like birds don't have mortgages, but whatever, let's keep doing this. But people are then selling us stuff to like numb ourselves from the dissonance of the society that is fucking us up in the first place. Like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of like, it's a bit existential, but when I like when I realized that I was like, I'm not I'm not placating this nonsense anymore. Like I accept I accept my individual disorderly behavior, but I will always hold that up to like the bigger picture because it makes me feel better, to be honest with you. Um, but that thinking about things like that really I think that's kept me sober for a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. um, and also acknowledging that the discomfort is completely valid like that's not insanity or illness that is a very valid reaction to a very uncomfortable world um yeah and that's that's your that's as well like finding your own authentic self and saying well this thing does not align with me so i'm not going to do it anymore yeah and i, I might i might not do it at the cost of some other things like you know like having money for a bit and stuff like yeah. that but do you know what I mean on the whole I think that's what it is it's those small steps isn't it to like yeah. you don't have to uh you know throw the baby out with the bathwater for want of a better expression but like these small things are saying well, this this doesn't align with me I'm not going to do it I'm going to choose to just do things that that serve me and and light me up and help me be who yeah. I want to be for the people around me and and that's kind of that's all it has to be isn't it really I suppose exactly and it's weird I don't know if you feel uncomfortable thinking like that like whenever I think about my life like that even when I do my show I have so much guilt because I'm finally doing something that's making me happy and it's making other people happy well, happy is a funny word <laughs> it makes people happy sometimes like it gives people an experience and it is I think doing a good thing I hope I can't stop beating myself up for it like how dare I enjoy this like the discomfort of just doing things for oneself is like, oh no, 
absolutely not. I don't know if you relate to that. <laughs> I do, yeah, I do. I'm self-employed and I um I kind of like I'm very lucky, I suppose, in that both my wife and I aren't financially driven. Like we don't care about that that sort of stuff. Yeah. Not, that's not our not a thing and that's definitely not you know when people say that and it's like yeah it's because you got loads of money that's fucking not the case I'll tell you yeah. that now um but I want to be in my life I want to be choice rich that's what I want to do I just want to be able to do what I want to do man and as long as I can like buy the kids an ice cream in the park on Saturday and pay my mortgage on time that's it man that's all all I'm all I'm in- interested in so I live like my life like that sometimes but there are days when like I kind of like I look through my diary and I've done enough work and I know that all the basics are covered and I can live. And then, and you think like, oh, it's Friday afternoon and I'm just chatting to Sammy on a Zoom call. Like, shouldn't I be grafting somewhere? Shouldn't I not yeah. be like... <laughs> Why are you not gardening? <laughs> Should I not be earning money to provide for my family? But do you know what I mean? I worked this morning. I've made my nut today. That's fine. But it, it even now after doing this for... I've been self-employed now for like seven or eight years. But even now there's that thing where it's like, no, surely I should be like like working how dare I have an afternoon to do something yeah. I enjoy you know it's um it does it's it's hard to to switch off from the I don't know the merry-go-round isn't it of the of yeah the- definitely it's weird you say about the money thing too is because I'm I, I mean I come from a, a, a my parents are a, have been a, how do I put this without sounding like a wanker I come from a very privileged background very very privileged and um I never used to recognize that and my parents never used to um understand me because I I think I was absolutely born with a silver spoon in my mouth and I've never but I've never wanted like I've never wanted anything really ever apart from like to just do my like acting and comedy and that that's all I've really ever wanted in my life um and I always am like I feel like I can say that because I've been given everything but I've never stopped working. Like I've never, ever stopped working. My parents were like, my parents introduced this really weird duality in me, which is like, I'm, I've got like, <laughs> I can't stop working. I kind of want to stop working and just be a, like a massive wanker, like artist person that just like has like a trail of things that follows them around and like does this when they're happy and like do that. And yet, I kind of have no appreciation for like shiny things or like uh, anything. And I think that duality, I don't really know what I'm saying, Tom. Like, I I basically, I'm saying, I, I totally understand that like, just I quite like living paycheck to paycheck, making sure that I just do my bit. And I don't need anything else, but then feeling really guilty when I've afforded myself the time to go and do my show or to go and like write a poem or to do something like that. Um, and my dad still does it now. God love him. I love him to bits, but he's like, what do you mean you were writing, doing a sketch? What, why are you doing a sketch? That's not earning money. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to earn money, dad. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's a weird attitude. It's such a post-war generation kind of, yeah. Thing. yeah I, I suppose in you know in the more traditional way of 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 living you know nine to five in it or whatever you want to want to call it there, there's not enough there's not much room for you know for the arts in there is there really there's not yeah. um and you know even school does its best to kind of like you know sort of make 
creativity as uncreative <laughs> as possible you, right. you know like and I talk about creativity a lot on on the show because I I do think it's a real um it's not necessarily like recommended when people talk about mental health and they say oh I'll go to the gym go for a walk do yoga whatever and all, yeah all those things are great but like creativity is like awesome for like mental health. having an out an outlet a way of expressing yourself of tapping into yourself and um I don't know like that's so limited because it's people say, right, well, you've got to, I don't know, write a song, do a drawing or write a poem. And that's it. Yeah. Like, that's, that's all it. you've got. That's all that, you're allowed to access. Yeah. That's, that's creativity. Right. But like anything can be creativity a way. My podcast is a way I express myself and I yeah. like tune into things and stuff. And like, that's, um, that's huge. Isn't it? That having that, I don't know, that, that place to put your stuff basically. That, yeah. That, I really think like, I genuinely think it's one of the most beautiful things about being human is this idea of like storytelling. We want to tell people, we want to show people, we want to pass down like danger and like like what we saw and kind of communicate all of that. And I really do think it's such a gift of like, it's such a gift to be human and have that. And I don't think it's used enough. And I think this really hit me when we started doing the show and we weren't being like, we've only just got funding, which is incredible. But for like a year, I was paying to do the show. Like I was paying to work. Um, and that didn't, like that felt okay. I was like, I should be paying to do a job. This is how all like, and I was like, wait a minute, no, no, no. This is not how all jobs are. Like you are doing a job. <laughs> You're, you're you're putting blood, sweat and tears into this fucking job and you're losing money, like you're paying to do that. And I was like, well, I deserve it because people are clapping me at the end of it. Like, and I was like, yo, society, man, like what, what you done to my head? Um, yeah, really put that in perspective. And I think it is, uh, I don't know. It's it's a shame. It's been a learning curve, but it it is just it's the same as every everything else. It's um unfortunately, I think it the you know the creative industry is really the infrastructure is rubbish and opportunity is incredibly limited. And some of us are lucky enough to be able to put the time and resource into making things. And on the one hand, that's I think well, I'm okay with it because I, I had that. I, I will use it, you know? Um, mm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was like, I'm a big music fan and I always think like, you know, how many great bands only existed because they were able to like sit on the dole and make music for years, right? Like it used to be a genuine thing. Like, oh, I'm going to, and you know, there was help available to help you to kind of just focus on becoming a really good band. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, like, but it, yeah, it just, that's not how, how, how it's viewed by society. We're talking about society a lot, right? And that, like, the trickiest thing is trying to work out, and this applies to mental illness as well, I suppose, but how, because society ain't going to change, you know, not anytime soon. Like, you know, I like to kind of try and think positively without gaslighting myself, but I do think that like future generations could really get a handle on it. Cause I really love um, how, how different certain aspects of society are because young people yeah, yeah, yeah. are kind of not fucking standing for it anymore. Right. Um, but yeah, you have to kind of, uh, 
you have to work out how much of it you can take to be able to do the stuff that you want to do because it's i'm not sure it's possible to be a complete outlaw if that makes any sense at all i know but i'm trying to find a way <laughs> i'm trying to find a way i was thinking about this earlier i started going back to, I, I went back to therapy i haven't been in therapy for a really long time because i hate it um and I hate feeling disordered by it because I do essentially you talk about your problems I feel like a creep and a freak um but why am I saying this why am I saying this why am I saying this tell me why what were you just saying I'm not sure we're talking about um choosing how much of society we can put up with yes so being an outlaw yeah being an out that was it being an outlaw like I was just thinking today I, I don't, it's not that I want to tap out of society. I just feel like, like, is there a way to be an outlaw and nonconformist in a way that is bringing awareness into society kind of, but without isolating yourself from it and going back to therapy took that kind of outlaw anarchist thing out of me. And I started being like, oh, I'm a problem. I'm a problem. I'm a problem. Which don't get me wrong, I am on so many levels. But then I was like, so easily gaslit by therapy to make me think that I was the disorder again. It's not my therapist's fault. I think it is just the narrative in therapy and academia and all of that. But I was like, no, I was really enjoying that kind of outlawish attitude that I had, which was just be a fucking nuisance. Make people laugh. And don't hurt anyone and don't be an asshole. Be a nuisance. Be kind to your friends. Have your little community of people who are like-minded and will hiss at the world with you, but who will inevitably protect you for what you are. Um, don't want you to change. Will accept you. You accept them. And that's all you can do. And I guess, yeah, what I was saying is in going back to therapy, it really kicks that out of me. And I was just thinking to myself this morning, like, I really want to have a go at this guy. Like, I really want to be like, no, excuse me, you're wrong. Like, stop trying to pull me back in, man. Like, I don't want this. Um, yeah, another tangent, but yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I suppose, like, it depends on what we're using therapy for, mate. Do you know what I mean? Like, if there's this, yeah. always this onus on, like, oh, well, we have to get to the bottom and fix this problem. Well, if something always needs to be fixed and that means something's always broken, that's the kind of the the narrative that we're saying, right? But yeah, yeah it's a, a tricky one. I, I've had a, I'm the sort of person that I need answers, right? I need firm answers. Like, it doesn't, yeah. like, I have to control my environment and I like to have, like, full, you know, everything's planned and prepped and organized and I know exactly what's happening at all times. And I had a, a therapist say to me once, he said, what are you going to do if there isn't an answer you're looking for? And I was like, there, there has to be. There, <laughs> there must there be. Must, there must be. I'm going to find this pearl of wisdom if it kills me. Uh, but that's something that, you know, that's something I've had to sit with. Is like, oh, maybe there's not an answer. Like, what if I'm looking for something that doesn't need to be looked for? What if I keep like stirring up this fucking mess oh. that is my head for no reason at all. And maybe if I just left it alone, I'd be all right. You know, like that's love the chaos. <laughs> it's exciting. It's not, it's horrible and I hate it, but I, I totally understand that. I think you've just explained to me why I'm, why I actually don't like therapy. It's a me thing. It's not a him thing. <laughs> I think you're right. I think, I think it is. 
I think therapy, sorry, I'm changing, changing this like tack, but like, I think therapy is incredibly useful. Um, I don't know about you, but I feel like I really need to be able to talk to my therapist and I hate it when I feel like I'm being, I feel, I hate it when it feels clinical and like, I feel like I can't just like this, just say the messy shit that I want to say and my anger at the world and all of it and my anger at them like because I am so angry <laughs> at therapists and psychologists and I'm sorry like it's not their fault but I am I have an anger towards it um and I want to be able to say that in a safe environment and I really respect that I can do that and there is a place to do that um and I think yeah it is good to be it's good to have somebody who's also not afraid to challenge you back. Mm. And I think it's that kind of like that relationship that I think is incredibly important to hold. It's just taken me a really long time to find it because of that clinicality, like, and sterileness of kind of therapy I've had in the past or kind of doctors I've seen in the past. I would never have said, I would never have opened my mouth, like let alone, be angry at them like you know um yeah don't know yeah I, I don't know like i i i got used to throughout my life holding my tongue because like for no other reason why i decided that that was how i was going to live my life but when i first went to therapy and i went because i got to kind of like crisis point right and um i'd sit in therapy and and not be very honest at all and really? like and I'd be driving home and be like oh, got away with another one. Oh my god <laughs> you know I like understand that. yeah like, like I, I kind of thought I can't tell this fellow what I'm thinking do you know what I mean he'll call the old bill like I can't I can't <laughs> do it and it, it that uh you know that took me um that particular therapist to work for a long time and he's wonderful and I he saved my life it's simple as that he saved my life and um but I work with someone someone else now because once I got out of that crisis point and I needed something different and I was like, well, where can I find that space that you described there where you can say anything? And like, for me personally, I, I'm much more comfortable in feminine energy. So like, I, I, you know, my, my best friends tend to be female and I love hanging mm. out with my wife and I've got lots of aunties and, you know, like I'm much, that's, yeah. so I was like, I don't think, I think being with another bloke, even though he was a, a an incredible man who did a lot of for me there was always something there whereas yeah, 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 yeah. so sometimes it's just about finding that that thing it certainly was for me anyway to like because it's such a complicated relationship isn't it like when you especially like when you first start going to going to therapy and it's like what is this i've known you like half an hour and you're asking me this stuff that i've been like pretending i don't think for years and you're expecting me to say it now <laughs> i'm really i'm but do you do you are you honest with your therapist now yeah i am now yeah everything now. yeah 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 pretty much to be honest like most of the horrible stuff i've said and done has been on this podcast so it's out there now so. oh, <laughs> yeah but telling tell the therapist the least of my worries but, <laughs> but no i am i am i am now yeah i am I am, I'm, I am honest in those sessions yeah i'm still going home being like <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Shit. It is, yeah, it is a really, it's funny because it's like, oh no, I did get angry. I called him an emotional escort service the other week. <laughs> he annoyed me and I was like, who the fuck are you? So I'm like, there is, there is, there is honesty. It's just sometimes, um, 
I don't know if it's just my weird, like spicy brain, but sometimes I find, sometimes I find it really difficult when it feels formal. And always as a kid, thinking it was like an authority figure like you know when I was a child like really really young I would literally would not put a foot out of line until and then life happened and then <laughs> by that but like yeah with with authority figures now I'm so careful to like position myself as being kind of like almost perfect and it takes a while for me to actually I guess show somebody that I'm the total opposite and I kind of hate them because I'm like, how dare you? How dare you make me feel vulnerable? How dare you do this to me? Um, but it's just, I, I just don't feel like I could say that to another human being. <laughs> like, it's mean, you know? Like, I don't want to be an asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's like, um, it, it's really making me laugh what you said there about figures of authority. Because sometimes like, I don't know, like, it'd be certain. I don't, luckily, I don't sort of see my therapist like in that, in that light. But there is like certain people that if I end up talking to, particularly people who are older than me, I always start snapping into that, you know, like if there's a big age gap. Yeah. And, um, and I, I don't know, probably like any, anyone who's a teacher, probably police, a doctor, you know, sometimes you like speak to someone and then afterwards when the moment's gone, I think, who were who you then? Like, why, where did you snap into this? <laughs> why did you just go on to best behavior? Where did that voice come from? Why did you oh start speaking to them like that? Yeah. That yeah. Effect, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I used to do that, if I'm being completely honest with you. Like I say, I'm a little bit of an anarchist at heart. And I, I've started, like, I've started kind of, like, not doing that anymore. And trying to be like, no you're not an authority figure and I think it is it's a weird it's like a very it's mild sociopathy by me but I really really struggle with authority really really struggle with it because of my like upbringing and stuff um but it was really funny to me how I was so institutionalized and so applicated it so much and I was so terrified of upsetting it and now I'm almost almost the other way where I'm like I want to mess with you <laughs> I want to like play games with you and because I find this weird and I find it uncomfortable and I find it unfair um because I think authority figures cause the world to be quite unfair and again we're back onto the society thing but um yeah it's I just like I like prodding them I was following two policemen the other day, just walking really close up behind them. And I wanted to start treading on their boots. And I was like, Sammy, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> like a little kid, just like, go, go back. <laughs> it's really bad. But yeah. I, I suppose like a lot of things in society kind of are able to keep doing because they're not challenged. And it's, and it's that, and it, you know, it's like this, um, like an unwritten unspoken agreement that we all kind of were signed up for yeah you know and we all just say well no one's going to challenge that and then like it you know it does take people who like prodding and people who are curious to say well hmm, let's challenge it a bit see what happens you know and like that's that is a way that change happens that's it's, yeah. it's that's that's that is how um how things change but yeah yeah definitely right. um, I, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to um ask you about the um the recovery process and getting sober 
And it, the, how did you find that? Because when um, any sort of substance is like a coping mechanism, then suddenly we're taken away. It might not be a healthy coping mechanism, but it's an effective one, right? And we yeah. take that away and then things can get really, really challenging. And I think there's this sort of narrative that it's like, oh, well, I used to do this and 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 life wasn't good and now I don't and life's fucking amazing. And no one really talks about the the realities of, you know, I I don't drink anymore. I haven't had a drink for seven years. Um, and I miss it, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, and I, I, I say yeah. that, I say that quite a lot. Um, I also didn't know I had problems with my mental health till I stopped drinking. Um, I never tried to take my own life when I was drinking, right. That all started right. when I sobered up. So it's this whole thing of like, it, it wasn't a helpful crutch for me, but it was a really good one. And I, it, it's still taking a lot of adjusting to kind of figure out, you know, my relationship with it. So that was a really long way of asking that question, but how did you find the process of, um, of getting sober and then of being sober? I really, really relate to everything you just said. When I look at my, when I look at alcohol and my current kind of mindset, I totally realized why I was drinking. It makes sense. Um, and it's hard. So well done. Um, I, I don't think I had much of a choice. I didn't have a lot of time left for choice, I think. Um, I don't know. I think some, like a lot of things I do in my life, I have to hit rock bottom. And then I got to push it a little bit more and a little bit more until I can absolutely testify that it isn't, it's it's going to kill me, if that makes sense. Um, I do that with a lot of things. and I I went to rehab. I was very, very lucky to go to rehab. I went for four weeks. Um, and that was after 30, yeah, th- I mean, I'm 28. And that was, when did I start? Yeah, 13 years of just drinking. I drank my way through, like, through school. Um, I used to carry around a little, like, vodka bottle in my, like, blazer pocket from really, really young. Like, I should not have been drinking. <laughs> um like drank yeah drank my way all through school all through uni and continued and then yeah went to rehab because I had a my first derealization episode where my reality just went bye (laughs) um so I had like and that was from being hungover spent four weeks sober in there but knew that I was going to come out and knew that I was going to drink again there was no way that I was being sober because I was just waiting for that next drink I was like I'll do this for a bit and then I'm just going to get fucked again so I started drinking again but then it got worse it turned into like binge drinking so I wouldn't drink for a week but when I did I'd black out I like there was nothing there was no evidence of how I got home sometimes I wouldn't get home Uh, I was waking up in weird places and the most humbling thing that happened during that time was I was um I was on a street a back street in Highbury and Islington in London and I was kind of like semi-lucid and I saw this man come towards me I was laying there on the floor and I was like the fight or flight was going off in my head I was like oh my god he I'm gonna get hurt and um this guy didn't have a home his name was Sonny and he walked me home to my home um like essentially just like had me on his arm and he like 
took me to my house, let me in and we said goodbye. And by that point I'd kind of like come round and it just got me thinking like the only difference between this person and me is that I've got a home to go back to and a roof over my head. What the fuck am I doing? Um, and it took a couple more months. It took five days of like poisoning. And then I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, if you carry on doing this, you're going to die. So I stopped and that was it. I just, for some reason, a switch went. And it went into food um, and exercise and it is still rooted in food and exercise because I always know that's very much how my life is. It's either food or alcohol. Um, but I would choose, I would choose control over food and exercise over my chaos and hurting other people with alcohol any day. Like that's the way I look at it. And that isn't like, I'd love a life where I could eat like a normal person, but you know what, in the grand scheme of things, it it's fine. So yeah yeah uh, oh mate it's um yeah it's hard going and like i don't know alcohol is so like normalized but society that word again but it's so normal around us isn't it you know just yeah. someone said to me i had um chat to a wonderful man called uh, sam delaney he's a journalist and um he said to me that he went to rehab somewhere to stop drinking and someone he worked with said to him that the age that you are when you start to use drink as a way to not feel your feelings is where you get stunted. And I'd not heard that before. And I kind of thought, yeah, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) And then, so then when you sober up, well, then you've got all that catching up to do. So like, like, you know, it's like 10 odd years there where it's like, oh yeah, I'm still a, you know, I'm still behaving like a 13 year old. And now I'm like 20 something and I've got to learn like 10 years of living now right? and I can't and I can't even do it pissed you know? like, <laughs> yeah I can't even make this look acceptable because I'm not even drunk and I'm still acting like a maniac yeah I got you <laughs> yeah, but how, I, yeah. many, how many years did you have to grow up for how many years did you were you drinking for um I started um my drinking probably wasn't problematic for me until a bit later, but I started like when all British kids started at like 14, 15 on the, on the park, that sort of, that sort of stuff. I always knew I was good at it. I yeah. always had capacity from like day one. I was like, Oh, this fits, you know, like it, it, it was good. Um, but yeah, probably not till later that it kind of got um, out of hand. I worked for a holiday company for a long time where of course it's like, it was completely normal to have a beer with your breakfast if you were hungover. And people did that because they were there for a, like a summer and it was party time and stuff like that. And I did it so that I'd be brave enough to like make a joke in public or, you know, like yeah. be, be myself for a day. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. So, um, so yeah, that, that's kind of when it like really, really ramped up. But then when my wife, I met my wife over there and we moved back to the UK and for me, that's when it really, um, because then it wasn't acceptable. So socially acceptable then. So no. it became, became different and yeah, I just couldn't, um, I, for a long time, I was a wonderful drunk. I was like, I was funny. I was, uh, do you know what I mean? Like I, it was brilliant. And no, like, I don't know what you mean. Cause I'm a terrible drunk, <laughs> but it's yeah. you. Good yeah. for you. <laughs> no, I, I was a great drunk until I wasn't. And then right. I wasn't. And then I was like, I was a mean one. I was a, a spiteful one. And you know, and I you just get to that place. Don't you? Where you'd like, you can't, I was sick of waking up in the morning and fucking feeling ashamed of myself and saying things I didn't mean to people I love you know like it's just yeah. like that so that that had to stop it took me two years two years of trying 
you know, yeah. and like, I'd have a few months off and think, oh, pretty good, might have a beer, and then I'd have a beer, and it'd be like, oh, nothing, nothing bad happened, oh, pretty yeah. sick, might have another one, and then, yeah. uh, you know, and then we'd be back to <laughs> there uh, we go again, <laughs> yeah, back to, back to square one, you know, but yeah, uh, yeah, that was my own my own journey. I don't know, like, I, I don't know. I think I had a drink problem, but I don't, I, I don't. I like I particularly identify as like a uh, an alcoholic or any anything like that. I was just like a it was just I used to do it all the time and yeah. stop and wasn't very nice when I did it. So you know, I think that's the thing is like as well. It's like this weird semantic thing again of going like, oh, can I really call myself an alcoholic? Like, did I have a problem in myself with alcohol? Yes. Was I causing problems for other people? Yes. Was it impacting my life? One hundred percent doesn't don't need to call it anything it's all you need isn't it, it? Yeah. stop it just needs to stop that's the um, funny thing when you're justifying your own behavior right it's like well like i can't have a problem look how much sammy's drinking she drinks more than me so i must be yeah. all right you know like it's- yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> i used to i went to i don't know if you'd ever been you've ever been to aa but i started i went to aa for three i think i managed three sessions um because I, I needed community, actually. I wanted to be around people. I was a little bit lonely. I knew I had to isolate myself for quite a bit to do like the work I needed to do on my head. Um, and I was looking around the room and people were telling their stories. And I remember feeling really um, stupid, actually, for being there. Because what some of these people had experienced and were doing to themselves and the pain that they were in and the extent of that dependency and addiction. I was like, why the fuck am I here? Like, there's nothing wrong with me. But I was like, whoa. And I had to stop going because I was actually thinking that I was okay. Um, And I'm not saying, again, like that really works for people because sometimes that's actually like a, oh my God, I never want to get like that. Whereas that my addict's brain was like, you can drink. See, you're fine. You're not, you know, you're not throwing up every hour. You're okay. <laughs> Get back to it. And I literally, I was so convinced. I remember about four weeks in, I was so convinced I was going to drink again. I went out with some friends, like they came to see me. We went out and I was like, I'm going to have a beer. You know that, what you're just saying. You were like, oh, I'm just going to have one. I'm going to do it. I can do it. And I got a, I got a pint glass, I got half soda, half lemonade, and I got literally them to pour that much beer in the top. So it was basically like nothing. And I drank that and I was like, huh, this is fine. Like, I don't feel drunk. I don't feel anything. And I feel like that urge has been kind of negated. And I have that every time I have a craving that I really, really can't fight because it makes me feel in a really placebo way. It takes away that social anxiety. And I'm like, oh yeah, mad one guys with my inch of beer. <laughs> Woo! And it genuinely has taught me, like it's taught me like to have that one thing for five hours, maybe two, maybe I will have two inches, but it will let me have like two of those drinks over like a five, six hour period I haven't been drunk. I can drive everywhere. There's been no, no nothing. And I'm just like that drink just saved my life. Like that, that one thing. And I'm like, I feel, I feel like people are like, oh, you're playing a dangerous game. And I'm like, no, I, I feel very comfortable in that decision-making process. As long as I am never drunk again and it never interferes with my brain chemistry. And I absolutely am 
savoring every single last drop of that tiny, tiny thing that I am giving myself. Like that's, that's kind of it. Um, and I think the way, I think the way that we look at sobriety and abstinence is something that I've always struggled with. I don't know about you, but like the idea of being sober forever, even though I will be, I will never give up like what I've done with my life now for, for a drink or to be drunk again. But still the idea of like abstinence terrifies me, like the commitment to it, if that makes sense. Um, mm. I don't know. Yeah. I, I like this thing as well. If you like, if you're drinking for reasons and those reasons change, right. Yeah. So, you know, you know, like I, I drank for very specific reasons and those reasons don't really exist anymore. So like, I, I, I don't, I won't go back to drinking. I'm not interested in it. My life has moved on from that yeah. in some ways, you know, I've got like kids and stuff. It's not, it's just not on my radar. It's purpose, but, isn't it? You've got purpose now, right? You've got things yeah. to fight for. Yeah. That's it. But if it was on my radar, I wouldn't be that worried about it. Cause I think, well, like I don't have all the, I'm not trying to drown the stuff I was trying to drown. Right. So that's gone. So it's, you know, and like not everyone has that or can, or can say that, but that, you know, I, I can. Yeah. But you got to yeah. find your way to, with anything, any sort of recovery, right? You got to find your way to, to figure it out for you. We talk about putting people in boxes. Well, you, you can't put everyone in, not everyone is going to deal with this stuff Respond in exactly the, the same, same way. Don't yeah. fit. We don't all fit that system and you got to find your own way to navigate it. And, um, and that's, you know, you mentioned, um, just to kind of, before I forget really, I just wanted to kind of ask you about, uh, derealization, Sammy, cause you mentioned that the, it was, came from a, a hangover the first time. And that's something yeah. that, you know, it's not, I don't think it's very understood, you know, what that, what that is, um, you know, cause one thing I, I didn't have many notes for today. And one thing I wanted to ask because of the fact because of the nature of what your show is and the fact that, you know, the, on the leaflet is you burning a, (laughs) right. So one of my questions I've written down is like, ask Savvy what her thoughts on like are on the mental health awareness stuff. Right. Just the general, cause I kind of got the impression we could go somewhere with that, but um, yeah, but mental illness is often left out of that conversation. Right. And things like, the what I would what I refer to as like the deep end, right? The deep end of that conversation, things like the de- derealization, like people don't like to talk about it. So I was wondering, yeah, let's 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 talk about it. And how's yeah. that? You remember the first time that happened to you? I do remember the first time it happened to me. Um, I didn't think it was I mean, again, labels. I really struggle. I even struggle with the term derealization because sometimes it doesn't always it it manifests in really different ways and I don't really need to understand it as long as I'm safe and I'm okay. Um, but the first time it happened, I was 14 and I was trying to, I was kind of getting through some eating stuff. I was trying to, I was going through some eating disorder recovery and obviously all of these emotions were like coming up all of this crap that I repress with my chaotic, terrible behavior all the time was coming up. And I just, I remember I was in a French, I was in French connection with my mother and she was buying me a dress and I was stood in front of the mirror and I just was like, fine one minute. And the next minute I was like, eh, this isn't real. Like something is very, very, very wrong. And I got diagnosed with um, panic disorder and like generalized anxiety disorder And I kept saying to them, I was like, but I'm not, I don't feel like, like I feel anxious, but there isn't something that I feel anxious about. And it feels very much like it's coming from inside my head 
and like the walls are kind of like foggy everything is suddenly very foggy and not real like I can't put it in a better terminology than that so that happened and then as alcohol got introduced it was it was fine for a while obviously I think at first alcohol suppressed it but then I'd experience it if I was yeah hung over it happened again when I was in London um and I ended up calling my ex-boyfriend I'd gone out for a coffee with somebody and I called him saying I think somebody spiked my coffee I feel like I'm on acid like I can't I can't explain it in any other way and bless me drove all the way from Brighton to London to like make sure I was all right and I wasn't all right I was like I can't describe it. I was on acid. Like it felt like my brain was just like, ah, um, and it was embarrassing. I was really embarrassed because I was with somebody who didn't know that well for a coffee. And I couldn't really explain to them that this was like, <laughs> it's a thing like, you know, um, and then when me and my ex-boyfriend broke up, it started getting worse when I was hung over. Um, and I started self kind of medicating by talking to myself and I do it now I talk to myself a lot because I really struggle with a sense of identity and self which I think is where it's coming from um so I kind of like talk to myself to make myself feel like I exist and then yeah ex-boyfriend and I broke up and then I stupidly smoked a joint one night because I was feeling really naughty <laughs> um, and you can't you can't smoke weed if you if you like me you just can't do it <laughs> and um yeah that was it for four days four four days I was walking around absolutely sure that I was still dreaming or dead I felt like my feet were like not on the ground at some points I felt like I was looking at myself it felt like I had a fishbowl on my head and I was just sweating I was so sweaty <laughs> And everybody was like talking at me, but it was like, there was like a, I, I don't really know. It just felt like reality, but kind of not, that's the best way I can explain it. And I called my mum and I was like, I need you to tell me that everything is real right now. And that I'm not, this call is not a dream. I'm not dreaming and we're talking. And she was like, yes, yeah, Sammy, you're not dreaming. And then I went, but if I was dreaming, you'd say that to me in my dream. So that doesn't make any sense. Like you literally can't tell me right now, anything you say is not gonna make me think that this is real. Um, and that freaked me out even more. I ended up getting really angry at her on the phone because I thought she was like trying to make me believe that I lived in reality when I didn't, <laughs> which was a weird thing to do to my mother, bless her. But then she said the coolest thing, which was, if you're not living in reality, so what? And I was like, huh? She was like, so what? And I was like, yeah, but she was like, you're not hurting anybody. Where are you? And I was like, I'm in my bed. She was like, so you know that, you know, you're in your bed. You're, there's still something there. Um, and that's what I've held on to is that I still, there's still a part of me that knows I'm still there. And I'm still, you know, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not completely like tapping out of my brain. And that keeps me grounded now because I'm like, okay, this is going on. We're just going to stay inside. We're going to cancel work today. It's cool. Um, and I feel very lucky that I still have that attachment to reality because if I didn't, 
and I totally was totally fragmented then that would be terrifying um and I'm just I spend a lot of time feeling very anxious that one day that might happen but I just you know that's anxiety for you yeah well yeah 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh, Maze, yeah that's um that's really interesting. Thank you. Articulate that so well, Maze. Do you touch on this stuff in <laughs> your for ages? <laughs> <laughs> no. um, it, 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 do you kind of touch on this stuff in the show? Is that kind of like in, no, not um, not a part of it. I think it would probably come up if you listen to me talk at, talk for seventy five minutes. You're going to know that something's not quite like you'd oh, be like, no, oh, <laughs> no. I mean, not, not um, sorry, not does it happen during the show, but does your show is it incorporated? Like, as no, 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 no. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Is yeah. I don't really, I don't, I've not really come out, come out. I don't really talk about derealization because I think it is. Maybe I should, maybe I should write a show about fucking derealization. But um, no, the show doesn't address that. The show addresses the kind of um, trauma response, uh, shitty my shitty behaviours basically um, right. is what the show is about. And it's talking about personality disorders. Um, it's the label thing, the performativity thing. And also just it explains trauma. It just explains the mechanisms of trauma but no there's no derealizing in it you mentioned um funding before are you guys taking it on tour are you hitting the road yeah. with, that's not my name yeah. we are going on tour we are going on tour we're starting i don't know if i'm i don't think i'm allowed to say yet okay. but we are going on tour we are we are touring next year i know that we're going to be we're going to be in bristol manchester leeds Bryson we're going back to Bryson uh we'll be doing another show in London and a couple of other places um so we'll be doing that and then if me and the guys have any money left we'll go to Edinburgh for the month and um I think finish it there I think there feels like a good place to do like a big that's that's it that's over and then we will have a lot of we're, we're running deconstructing disorder workshops afterwards um, which talk about two things. They talk about individual disorder and system disorder. So that duality of like disordering oneself and then also looking outwardly and going, wait a second, society. Um, so we run like a 45 minute chat, well, will be where everybody can get involved and kind of like talk about that, which then I hope we'll be using for a few different funky things because we record them transcribe them and then either use them as like qualitative data to feed back into system or write something else or make something else with i don't know yet so oh amazing yeah that's an awesome thing to do after the show right like such a a cool way to get people's ideas and thoughts and you know like that's yeah. that's sick yeah and i think that's really yeah. important I think that's really yeah important. i think it's i think it's important because it's so like you know we said at the beginning mental health is so subjective it's so fucking personal but the problem is not personal. Like <laughs> the problem is collective and shared. So it's all well and good me complaining and screaming at people on a stage for 50, like 75 minutes. Great. Cool. <laughs> but what about everybody else? <laughs> like, nah, <laughs> even, even I, as much as, as much of an attention seeker I am, that doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> so yeah, I don't oh, know. Amazing. There you go. Well, I hope it goes well. I'll put all the, um, 
all the links in the episode notes and all that sort of stuff so people can cool. find you and um yeah i'll look out for them i'd love to come and see it i'd love to so yes i will be i will i will be along at some at some Please. stage on that tour um Please. for real but mate thank you so much for your time today i've had thank an absolute you. absolute blast that was wonderful thank you <laughs> thank you for having me thank Big up to the proper mental podcast. A proper mental podcast. <laughs>